So we're going to be in a couple of places today, but our, our story is going to be about John the Baptist. All right? And so we're going to start off in Mark 1, and we're going to hop over to Matthew 11. Um, I put all these scriptures in your app for you. Um, they will be on the screen as well. Um, and so here we go. John 1, Mark 1, ch- chapter 1, verse 1 says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it was written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So first step here, Mark. Mark was an apostle. All right, just so you know that. Like Mark was not an apostle. He was John Mark. So if you read the story of Mark, like what you're going to understand is that there was a church started in his home and John Mark walks this out. Some people believe that what happened was that he walked around with Peter and he just kind of, Peter dictated and he wrote it down. All right. If you'll follow John Mark's life, man, John Mark kind of stumbles a little bit and where they recorded that, man, like he's kind of a, he's kind of a screw up. But then he comes and he finishes his ministry well. And I want to walk in that, but I do want you to know this, that this is the most translated book in the history of the world, Mark. All right? It's the most translated book in the history of the world. And he starts off by saying, listen, something that was prophesied 700 years ago is coming true, has come true, and it's in this guy named John the Baptist. All right? He says, John the Baptist appears in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean countryside and all the prophets of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, why is this so important? Like, what's important about this for us to know? Because what I want to do is I want to set the stage for who John was and then set the stage on how his life flows into ours. All right? And so the reason that John's ministry is so important, like, why is John the baptizer? Like, we clearly know that Jesus' disciples baptized some people. We clearly know that Nicodemus was running around. Like, why is there not Nicodemus the baptizer? Like, why is it, why is it John the baptizer? And why is he known as John the baptizer or John the Baptist? Because what he was doing was so unique that it caused a lot of friction. All right? So let me, give you some, let me give you just a little bit of history here. Baptism wasn't new for the Jews, but it wasn't for the Jews. All right? So if you're tracking, so a Jew is, is the promised people of God. All right? So a Gentile is anybody but them. All right? And so in baptism, not necessarily for the Jews, because they were already the promised people of God. It was for Gentiles who decided they were going to walk away from what they knew and start to serve the God of the Old Testament. All right? And so when a Gentile decided to become a convert, then they would get baptized. All right? Does this make sense? So now you have John the baptizer baptizing a bunch of Jews. This is why when the Pharisees and the Sadducees came out and said, what are you doing? 
right? Like, what are you doing? Because by, by right, what the Jews were saying was that there's something wrong with us. There's something wrong here. Like, we know about the temple sacrifice. We know about sin. We know the Old Testament. We know Ten Commandments. But we feel as far away from God as the Gentile. And this is what was playing out. And I will tell you that we are not that far from this now. Case in point, I go home at Thanksgiving. And I'm with my friends who are part of a local church. And the first thing they say to me after about three, being with us for about three hours is to say, Chris, they're like, like man, we're, we're attending church, but we have no idea whether or not we're good with JC. That's what they said to me. I, I want to know if I'm good with JC, and so how am I supposed to know that? And so it opened up a conversation because, you see, any system built apart from Christ, built from the hope of Christ, built from the fact of, of Jesus came to save all sinners, that, that our lives matter, and that the, the walk for us is to completely give our lives to Jesus is empty. Like, it's empty. Case in point, in December, I'm with somebody that I love. He attends church every week, twice a week. And he's reading this book called Read Jesus. And he's like, man, he goes, this, this book is really messing with me. He's like, I don't, I don't really know what to think about it. And so we open up the scriptures and we read John 3. And I'd say, I was like, just read it out loud. Just read John 3 out loud. And so he does. And he's like, I don't understand what it means to be born again. And I'm like, I know. But this is what the Lord wants you to know. Is that he is for you. And he needs to know if you are for him. Again, any religious system, man, that's not built on a full-on devotion to the Lord is going to fall apart. Like as I'm leaving Conway, my wife, she's like, it's crumbling. The entire religious system that they know is crumbling. And the same thing was happening here. I would go so far as to tell you the same falls on you Baptists, all right? So some of you guys who are like, man, I have prayed a prayer and now I'm in. I would say be careful with that. Case in point, I, I walked with a friend. We worked together at the hospital. He's like, man, he goes, I walked the walk. I came up, I got up out of the aisle. I came down, I prayed the sinner's prayer in ninth grade. He goes, I don't look anything like it right now, but I know that I'm in. Like it's some kind of witchcraft, right? Like they're, they're, it doesn't really work that way. It's like Jesus is the Lord and Savior of the entire world, and I am going to follow him with my life. And anything built apart from that will fall apart for us. And so what John's doing is he's upheaving everything that they know. And he's like, he's like things are fixing to change. And the reason that you believe that you're as far away from God as you can be is because it's going to change to where you're going to be really close to him if you want it. And so they wanted it. And so at the very mention that he, he wasn't preaching forgiveness of sins, he was preaching that the Messiah was coming, and in response to that, they confessed their sins. It was crazy. And so John's turning everything around here. And so we move forward just a little bit further, and it says, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So why does Mark give us a description of what he's wearing? Right? 
Like he's a man. Like nobody cares. Like if he was a woman, maybe somebody cared about what he was wearing. But nobody cares what a man wears. I don't even know if I care what I got on. Right? But if you look in the Old Testament, you're going to see a man who was dressed just like him. All right? His name was Elijah. And if you remember the story of Elijah, let me just kind of lean into you for a second. Elijah suffered severe depression. He sat down by a creek one day and he begged the Lord to take his life. Right? Like he was, he was having those kind of thoughts in his head. And John's going to look just like him. He's going to look just like him. And he says, after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. Why does he say this? So at New City, you know, we value spiritual maturity. The way we think that that works is, is that you get somebody that's further along in your walk and you walk with them. All right? No different than these guys were doing here. So what would happen is that a rabbi would come, he would handpick people, and they would walk with him. All right? Now, Here's the rules. Like if you get invited into that kind of relationship, if a rabbi comes to you and says, I'm going to walk with you, here's your response to that. Whatever they say for you to do, you do. If they say wash his car, you wash the car. If they say, if they say scrub the floor, you scrub the floor. If they say, if they say um, walk 10 miles, you walk 10 miles. There was only one thing that they could ask you that you didn't have to do. You want to take a guess at what it was? You didn't have to take their shoes off. Like according to the Talmud, you did not have to take their shoes off. So John goes directly against this and says, after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. Whose shoes I'm not even worthy to untie. And this is why This is why they say that John was the greatest born among any woman on the earth. Because he was preaching Jesus. Like his whole life, this is his his M.O. Like his shoes I cannot even touch. When he lived in a society when that was the worst. Now I'm going to speed this story up for you just a little bit. We're going to move into Matthew um, 11. Because I wanted to set the basis for you. And here's how this works. Matthew 11, verse 1, it says, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? All right? So let's just walk into this. It says, verse 2, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now, let's push into this, all right? So the first thing we need to know is why is he in prison, okay? So we know in Israel's time that during this, Rome owned them, all right? But the man who was kind of in charge of that land, his name was Herod. And here's, here's how awesome Herod is, Okay? Herod goes to Rome to visit, stays with his brother, and decides that he wants his brother's wife more than he wants his own. All right? So that would be like me going home for Christmas, being with my family, and and deciding that I want my brother's wife more than I want my own. All right? And so this is what Herod does. So he decides that he wants that wife, and so that's what he's going to do. So he seduces her. You You can walk this out historically. All right? 
historically, you can track everything about what I'm fixing to tell you. So he, he comes back, he kicks out his previous wife, right? He sends her packing, and his brother's wife comes to live with him, okay? Her name was Herodias. John, who's preaching in the wilderness, preaches against this. He's like, this is wrong, like, Herod, you can't do this. Like, this, this is an abomination. It goes against God's law. Like, it's, it's you being all about you, and this is going to go badly for you. And Herod gets sick of it and decides to throw John in prison. All right? And so this is kind of how the story comes up. Like, you can test all that out. In fact, we have pictures for you. All right? So you can, not just historically, but archaeologically, we're going to show you um, where Herod's um, palace was. All right? And where Herod's ruins are. Okay, and so this is the ruins of Herod's palace. Under that is the prison that John was thrown in. All right, so not just historically, not just archaeologically, but biblically backs up all three. And so we know John's in prison. He's underground here. John's under in prison. It says he's in prison for four Passovers. So that's anywhere from a year to 18 months. All right. Now, keep in your back pocket that Jesus himself said that no one in this world is greater than John, that no one has come born of woman greater than John. And we find John sitting in this prison, right? And so now John has been there for a year to 18 months, and and here's what he does. It says that he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, is he the true Messiah? Now, there is a very small camp out there that will tell you that he, he's not wavering in his faith. I believe that's bogus. Like, I, I think all the evidence points to the fact that he's wavering in his faith. And, and let me tell you why. So another part of the story that I've left out with John is that he actually baptized Jesus, right? So, so John baptizes Jesus. After them talking about not wanting to get baptized, John goes ahead and gets, goes through with it. All right, so he baptized Jesus, and then he sees something that no one else has seen since that day. All right, it says that he saw the heavens open up, he saw the voice of heaven, he heard the voice of heaven, he saw the Spirit of God descend upon Jesus like a dove, and then he saw the Son of Man. And then he heard the voice of God saying, this is my Son with whom I love, listen to him. So he saw God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all existing in the same moment in time. Like, it's where we get the Trinity from. Like, he witnessed a miracle. Like, he saw it with his own eyes. And now he's sitting in prison 12, 13, 14 months, and he's saying, man, go ask him. Like, go ask him, is he going to die? Like, like, go ask him. Is he the one? Because in John's mind, John was with them as well. He's like, listen, Jesus is going to come and do something crazy. And everything's going to change for us. All of us that love him, things are going to change for us. And so how is it that I find myself day after day after day sitting in this prison cell when he is supposed to be the Messiah? And so he sends his disciples to say, man, go, go ask him. Because this isn't how I saw my life playing out, right? Like, I didn't see it playing out this way. Like, I'm the voice of the one crying. Like, they wrote about me in the Old Testament. This isn't how it's supposed to go. Like, I'm not supposed to be sitting in this prison. Like, the kingdom is supposed to be coming here. And I'll tell you this, like what Jesus says to him has changed my life forever. Like it's, it's allowed me to reconcile a thousand things. And Jesus replied to me, he says, go back and report to him what you hear and what you see. 
The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now, if you've been tracking with Jesus very long at all, that you know what he just did, he's done before. Like he's quoting an Old Testament prophecy, Isaiah 61. I would encourage you to read it. He did this again when he stood in the temple, proclaiming to the whole Sanhedrin that he was the Messiah, the anointed one. And at that point, they wanted to kill him. But in this text, he does something different. He leaves off the last two sentences of Isaiah 61, verse 1. He leaves them off. Now listen real carefully to the rest of Isaiah 61. It says, go back and report to John what you hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. But you do not read that the captive will be set free and the prisoner will be released from darkness. He left it off. It's code. And when John, I am who you search for. And you're going to die there. I'm the one you've been looking for. And you're going to die there. And you can imagine John going, well, that's not how I saw my life playing out. Right? Because if you want to get honest about John, like, here's how, here's how John dies. Like, it, it's horrific. So, so Herod gets drunk has a party, gets drunk. This adulterous thing that he's in, that, that woman's name, Herodias, her daughter comes in and dances. In fact, she strips. And Herod, getting so excited, decides to give her whatever she wants. And so she asks for John's head on a platter. And so the greatest born among women dies because of a pervert and a stripper. And so where is this? Right? Like so John's disciples turn, they walk away, and Jesus says, He goes, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet, this is the one written about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, this is fact. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And this is John's story. And so here's what I want to speak into you for just a second. Like, where is the freedom in this? Right? Like, here's the thing about the gospel. No one's ever promised you what you want. 
Like following Jesus has never promised you that you're going to get this, this, and that. Like prosperity gospel sometimes goes, not sometimes, it goes awry. Because listen, the gospel was built on the blood of men, not on its money. But in that, in that, like what you see is like you see Peter crucified upside down. You see, you see part of the apostles being skinned alive. You see some of them being thrown in boiling oil, like run through with spears, thrown from the top of the buildings. And yet in that, what is the beauty of it? Is that in all of them, they realized that Jesus was enough. Like he's enough. Like when John's sitting in prison, he's like, listen, everything you've been looking for is coming. It's here, and I am enough, regardless of how it goes for you. Peter, they're going to crucify you upside down, but I am enough. They're going to fillet you, Bartholomew. It's going to really hurt, but in the end, I'm going to be enough. It's why when those apostles were beat up, they're like, look at me. You can see my skin. Like literally, it's ripped off, and they rejoice because Jesus was enough for them. Like, like, here's the deal. Like, you pray for healing. Maybe you get it. Maybe you don't. He's enough. You, you, you ask for the promotion at work. Maybe you get it. Maybe you don't. He's enough. Like, you, you ask to have a long life so that you can see your grandkids grow up. Maybe you get it. Maybe you don't. But in the end, he is enough. So why? So that he would be supreme in all things. In all things, he would be supreme, the beginning and the end, the one who holds all things together so that the supremacy of Christ would be revealed in all of his people. It's Colossians 1, that you would have enough. Whether you live in caves or shut the mouths of lions, that he would be enough. In plenty and in famine, that he would be enough for you. This is the message of the gospel. It's written in blood through martyrdom the entire way because he was enough. And it's why we stand on their shoulders and we proclaim this. And so I would say to you, man, pray for it, ask for it. But in the end, he's got to be enough or you will always war in your head. Your heart will never find peace and you'll be like me. So don't continue to finish the circle. So finish it and know that he is enough. That in all things, he's enough. Whether you live in a mobile home or in a mansion, he's enough. Man, whether your spouse is awesome or they leave you, he's enough. Whether you live a long life or you die tomorrow violently, he is enough. And that is the message that's preached, that he's enough. And so uh, we're working through this on Thursday. And Heather Snow, she's like, yeah, she was it's kind of my story. And she begins to unpack it. And so we're like, hey, can we just capture that on video for you? Because if you're, if you're going to watch this story, you're going to watch somebody who's done it all right their entire life. So like, like a, a problem with the gospel sometimes is this, is like when I, when I came to know Christ, in my mind, I thought everything was supposed to go perfect for me. Like that's what you're, like that's kind of how it comes across in the stage. Like give Jesus your life and things will get better for you. But dude, if you follow the gospel, it's not always true right? What is true is that he becomes your all in all. Like he becomes enough in good and bad, in suffering and in rejoicing. He becomes enough. And so Heather begins to share her story. And I'm like, dude, I think that kind of sums up what we're talking about here. It's like, would you mind if we capture that on video? And so Jake was kind enough to capture her story on video. We're going to show it to you if you don't mind. Is that cool? So if you can, if you can stand with me as I read Colossians I was with a guy on Wednesday, and uh, 
he's like, man, he's like, man, what I'm going through is no, is, is a cakewalk compared to what you're going through. And, and man, here's what I would say. Don't, don't minimize what you're going through. Like it's, it's not a contest to see who suffers more, right? But, but here's the beauty of the suffering is that, that I don't want to debate where the, where the suffering comes from the Lord or not, but I think we can all agree that the Lord has the power to stop at any time he wants. And so if he chooses not to know this, like Hebrews is clear that he uses the rod of suffering as discipline in our lives so that we will know that we are his legitimate sons and daughters. Yes. And so we don't run from it. Like we embrace it because in that Christ has a chance to become supreme in our lives. And this is how he plays it. He says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. For he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, so that in everything, He might be supreme. He might be supreme. Pray for it. Ask for it. But in the end, He is enough. Yes? He is enough. He is enough. For God was pleased in Jesus to have his entire fullness dwell in him and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things both in earth and in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross so that mankind would make him supreme and everyone in this house said